This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. Hello and you're very welcome to Talking Books with me, Susan Cahill. Well, this week's show looks at some intriguing books and stories about love, relationships and intimacy, but not in the way you might expect. One of Ireland's most exciting writing talents, Colin Barrett, talks to me about his powerful new collection of short stories, Young Skins, which is set in the shaky, brutal, savage world of Glambay, a fictional town in County Mayo. But be warned, this book is not for the faint-hearted. It's loaded with drugs, sex and violence. That said, it's hugely engrossing. And for those who love romantic literature and biography, well, I've a great book for you. Lucy Newen, author of William and Dorothy Wordsworth, All in Each Other, discusses one of the most misunderstood creative collaborations in history. But first, if the job of a writer is to explain our social landscape, well, then Mayo-born Colin Barrett's new collection of short stories, Young Skins, does it in spades. Colin's new book, is set for the most part in the Wild West and explores the gritty, murky and somewhat desperate lives and loves of a group of young men and women eking out an uncomfortable existence in contemporary post-boom Ireland. While this collection of short stories covers a range of predictable themes such as hopelessness, love and isolation, its greatest strength is the unique mood captured for the reader. And what we get is one incredible picture of loneliness, alienation and failure. Well, Colin politely blazed into news talk earlier in the week, and I'm relieved to let you know he does not resemble anything close to his characters. But before we got stuck in to some of the dark, juicy characters in his new collection of short stories, I asked Colin to read a passage from Youngskins. Let's take a listen. Hello, my name is Colin Barrett, and I'm going to read a segment from my story, The Moon, in my collection of short stories, Youngskins. Back when he'd first encountered Martina Boren, she was just a kid, a mute, studious 16-year-old, burdened with braces and baby fat. She'd sometimes drop into the peacock after school, when her father was tending bar in the lounge, and Val was helping the floor staff set up for the evening run. Weekday afternoons in the bar were morgue quiet, the only regular customers, a handful of the town's senior pissheads, intent on drinking through their pension money by a respectable hour. Davy loved to talk his daughters up. The eldest was a teacher in Nace, the middle one a radiographer in Bristol, and was no different with Martina. This one, he'd say, grabbing the girl by her shapeless shoulders, is off to Trinity Boys Medicine. Martina would only roll her eyes and sigh. She'd take a booth at the rear of the lounge, haul a brick-thick textbook out of her bag, and bury her head in it for the next couple of hours, face set in an expression of miserable diligence, while her father happily pulled pints for the geriatrics pickling on their stools. A couple of years passed. Martina seemed to drop off the radar altogether in her leavings her ear, and the next Val heard she was off at college, but in Galway, not Dublin, and doing arts, not medicine. She turned up again at the start of this summer, Davy having decided to put her to work in the Peacock on weekends. Now nineteen, Martina had grown up and into herself. First night on the job, 
She showed up sporting a pair of knee-high leather boots and strategically gouged pink tights, hair dyed to a high orange flame, and a murderous glint in her eye that said the dowdy teenage bookworm of yesteryear was dead and gone. Val found himself inventing excuses to hover in her vicinity. He'd lean against the edge of the bar as Martina stacked glasses into the washer, stalled by a booth as she swabbed down tabletops sticky with spilled spirits. They traded banter, drolleries, exchanged knowing looks as the Saturday night crowd heaved and swelled around them. One night a few weeks back Val offered her a lift home. Sequestered side by side in Val's Nissan in a shadowed corner of the parking lot, they talked pleasantly and meaninglessly for a few minutes, until Martina cut across whatever anecdote or observation Val was unspooling and asked him to stop acting the bollocks and do what it was he wanted to do. Val's knuckles tightened round the steering wheel as he mumbled something about not being sure what that was. Martina had only tutted, then shoved her hand decisively down the front of Val's trousers. Since then they'd been meeting up in a casual way a couple of times a week, Usually on those evenings their work shifts coincided. Because he was almost thirty and she was a decade younger, because she was heading back to college at the end of summer and because of the complications that would inevitably ensue should her dad ever get wind of who, exactly, was ploughing the apple of his eye, Val had proposed that the thing between them be kept to themselves. It would serve no useful purpose to have their business broadcast about town. It won't, Martina said. Not exactly the most romantic of scenes, but possibly a very universal scene that you have between older men and young women. Can you talk to me about some of the pragmatic female characters that you have in your new collection of short stories, Young Skins? Well, as you see there, Martina, the, the, the girl in question there is sort of, um, it is a scene, a slight inversion of the classic older man seducing a young ingenue. She, she's not quite that. She, she's happy to take control in, in this situation. And it is a little bit of a clinical exchange, as, as these things can often be in this day and age, you know. As the story progresses, it actually does, there, there is some romantic overtones come in on the part of the man more than the girl. Martina does remain a bit of a, an enigma to Val, the main character. It was just an attempt to sort of invert that little, you know, not, not have the female character be a, you know, totally passive, compliant cipher. But she has her own agency and she has a a motivation that there's nothing to do at all with Val, you know, which men always find difficult to accept. And the women are very, as I said, pragmatic, but they're really resilient. Some of them are quite tough and brutal, and they certainly make strategic decisions out of possibly necessity because they're living in a small town Ireland and they're trying to make each day go as best as it can. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was very important for me to kind of do female characters that were more than just love interest, you know, the usual stuff. And at the same time, a lot of the stories, the main characters are usually male. And what I do then is try and contextualise the male behaviour by introducing the women and have them usually the perspective in a, in a number of the stories. Stand Your Skin, one example, is again about the classic sort of outsider loner guy, Bat, who doesn't really fit in anywhere. He's a biker. He, he works in the local petrol station. And um, there's his mother, who's initially is presented as the classic hectoring mother given out to him and, and stuff. But by the end of the story, it's really her story. It, it mainly focuses on Bat, but it does pull back at the end. And you kind of get the mother's perspective on her son, on her own life. And it is about that thing of her son kind of mopes around. And he's, he's, a, he's a nice guy. He's a gentle soul. He's been damaged. But you do see the massive well of love behind him from his mother and, and, and um, yeah, she's she's pragmatic, she's doing what she does. Both the characters are doing what they do to kind of keep going, keep their family unit intact uh, insofar as it remains. And that's an extraordinary story that really took my breath because it's very, very sad, very visceral. There's a very violent scene in it, yeah. in a chipper. The violence, maybe how you've written it, shows the, you know, how drink 
and issues related to mental health and how they can actually explode and where it leaves families and mothers worrying about their young children. Yeah, I mean, the the story hinges on it is a flashback, but you do learn how bad, for instance, was he was assaulted randomly, essentially, in a, in a chipper. And this is the sort of thing that happens every weekend, not just in this country, but everywhere. And I suppose it is, the story then is a sort of, it's just dealing with the repercussions of that, you know. It's buried towards the end of the story as a flashback, but the whole story has been always about how things have been from that moment for Bat and for his mother. And yeah, I mean, as you said there, women often end up having to sort of be pragmatists, keep their family intact, keep things going, keep things moving. They don't often have what I suppose many male characters have in all sorts of popular narratives. And otherwise, men always get to be the heroes or the villains and they blow stuff up and they cause chaos. But women often have the tankless role of picking up the pieces. So the story is in part about kind of addressing that. And what I found really interesting was, and it made a load of sense reading it, the telling of the story in terms of how you write about male relationships, male friendships, and, you know, how sometimes how awkward men can be around their best friends, how they've so much to prove, how suddenly an average meeting the stakes can go very high with drink involved, and how things can descend into a crazy mess. Some of the male characters, they're so tough on each other. They give each other such a hard time. They don't make life easy for each other. Can you talk to me why you wanted to explain the starkness that sometimes presents itself in male relationships? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it, it is there with a lot of male relationships. There's a lot of pairings and friendships in, in the stories. There's usually two main male characters who are good buddies, or should be anyway. But it is sort of that very, not even just male thing, but human thing. I suppose male thing especially of coming up against the limitations, the boundaries of where you're at in your life, whether that's geographical or financial or economic or ideological in some cases, I suppose, as well. And yeah, it, the magic ingredients in these stories are the classic things, drink, tedium, things escalate, you know, small things escalate into big, big problems. And I suppose it's just trying to trace that in a hopefully artful and entertaining and interesting way, you know. And what's so refreshing is, Colin, you can't be accused of being a bored Fulcher advert to the west of Ireland because what we get is sometimes very grim. You have a lot of drinking in a lot of pubs, some violence and a kind of a very murky world at times where people are very isolated, marginalised, dislocated. So it's not the typical west of Ireland, you know, happy Larry traditional music and small towns and boreens that we usually get. How important was it for you as a writer to write about the West and present the small stories from there? I mean, even from a technical point of view as I was writing, my writing only really, I thought, got any decent in any way when I did start writing about that sort of rural setting and that tone more even than just the strict geography. You know, it is set in the west of Ireland. The stories are mostly set in a fictional town in the west of Ireland, in Mayo, which is where I'm from. But, you know, it could have been in South or, you know, in the Midlands or wherever. But I tapped into what I got when I was growing up, which is just a certain, you know, an energy and anarchy. Benign sometimes as well as destructive, you know, it's what keeps people together, sort of, you know, the camaraderie that can come from being in an isolated or rural place or whatever. And hopefully that is there too, you know, I mean, the violence and, and chaos are in these stories, partly because they're in life anyway, but that is what we tend to focus on, obviously. But I hope there in the stories as well, there is sort of, you know, like between Bat and his mother, there is a sort of, you know, a, a pure thread of something. It's it's damaged and it's broken, but, you know, it's still there. There is still love. There's still bonds. And in all the stories there are. And often, of course, that's what precipitates all the chaos in the first place, because, you know, somebody looks at someone the wrong way and a third party has to intervene because, you know, their family or they're someone they love, you know. In terms of all the groups of friends, you've some that get the opportunity to go to college, others who have the opportunity but won't because they're stuck in their ways in the routine of the small town. Can you talk to me a little bit about that kind of inertia 
that sometimes happens in small towns or not even in small towns for certain people to leave their town, whether it's Dublin or Limerick or Galway or a rural regional area around the country. It's a huge thing and they'll go away for a year and then they'll come back again but they've never actually left it. There seems to be that theme. It's kind of layered in between all lots of the different characters, whether it's throwaway comments on who's going to college or who's coming back or who's leaving here or there. Yeah, well, again, I mean, it's just something from my growing up, my generation grew up in the sort of late 80s, 90s. So it was a more prosperous time. Celtic Ireland was on the way, etc. So people did have a lot more opportunities. But I suppose in the stories, what fascinates me is that some people, irrespective of whether it's boom or bust, some people don't leave where they're from or for whatever reason aren't interested maybe in going out into the world and sort of experiencing it or whatever in that way, you know. It just fascinates me why some people who maybe could have had the opportunity to leave a small rural town if that's where they're from don't and they stay and they build a life there and a lot of them are very, very happy there. I went to college, lived in Dublin for 10 years and I suppose as I go back to Mayo now and a bit older and, you know, we've all grown up and it's just that question of why do some people stay and a lot of the stories are investigations in that I don't really have an answer to it it's a mysterious thing to me which is what compelled me to write about it I suppose and I suppose the only conclusion I kind of came to was some of the characters are some of them are trapped but others they're almost I don't know they're they just see life in a different way they live in their heads in a way that you know other people perhaps don't necessarily and they just have this sort of zen attitude of well you know I'm just going to live a mile from where I was born and you know it's great The mood is tremendous and the energy in your writing. How difficult is that to do and to get into a story like that when it is a short story rather than, you know, 200 pages? Like you cut to the chase in some of the stories and you get into the action pretty fast and it races along and it's hugely energetic. But that must be very difficult to do because you can't luxuriate in any level. Yeah, I mean, a short story is brutal. The form is, is tough on you if you're sticking in on unnecessary stuff or gratuitous stuff. And at the same time, though, you do want to keep things unexpected and keep things, as you say, lively. And it was very important for me to make the prose energetic and make it kind of pop and be interesting. And that's just because that's the kind of stuff I like reading and that's where my predilections grew. Every sentence, hopefully, is doing something interesting. Of course, it'll hopefully work as a whole, but, you know, you, you'll still get a, a flavour of it if you just read an excerpt or whatever. With a short story, yeah, it's very important to the language. Every word counts, every word matters, yeah. And there's huge craftsmanship, I have to say, to your writing because the sentences are just mind-blowing. Some of them are just, they're incredible. So are you slaving away at that or how do you do it? Slaving, yeah. Uh, thanks. Um, yeah, hopefully they are. I mean, you know, for some other people, they might be overcooked or whatever. You know, everyone has their different things. But, I, you know, I certainly, it's not slaving. I enjoy doing it, although it's vastly frustrating at times. But I re- write and rewrite and rewrite. Anyone who's going to write seriously, I suppose, it's all rewriting, nearly nearly all of it, you know. You could work in a sentence a hundred times. Before the interview, we were chatting and you were saying that sometimes you're juggling about three or four stories and then one of them just takes the lead and then you have to dump the others. You know, you said, you know, Youngskins is a fantastic selection of seven short stories, one a particularly long one. But you said you'd a load there and then it was just dropping the weak links. You must come very close to them. So they're your friends almost. Yeah, I mean, there was another, there was probably another maybe three or four stories that were published elsewhere, like that had made it to that stage. They'd been published in magazines or whatever, but we cut them 